Welcome to Thrive Church Podcast. Join Pastor Kevin Bordeaux as he explores the word giving insightful solutions for day-to-day challenges. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Welcome to Thrive Church this morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good to have you guys here today. Um, I want to thank everyone who gave to our back to school bashes and those who were able to come and serve yesterday. We served a couple hundred, uh, actually several hundred people and a couple hundred kids. Uh, we partnered with Oak Grove Baptist and also with Shauna Sorority. I'm very terrible with like the Greek letters. I don't want to mess it up. Um, Sigma Gamma Rho. I got it. Thank you. As you can tell, there's some from the sorority here today that know the letters I don't. But thankful for all the partnerships, and we're able to bless children of Benzilla Elementary with a free school supplies, bounce house, snow cones. Um, amen. And uh, as we believe, we believe a church is supposed to give back to its community. That it's not about just what happens in here, but it's supposed to overflow into the community. Um, and then this Thursday, we're doing one for J.G. Henning. We thought it was so much fun, let's do another one. So at J.G. Henning, this Thursday at 5, we're going to host another Back to School Bash and have uh, several hundred more bags to give out and are excited what God is doing here at Thrive. Um, something coming up, which will be in September, is our fall kickoff. Okay, fall kickoff is huge. It's our church birthday. You know, a lot of you guys have kids. You make big deal about the birthday, right? We're going to do a whole weekend birthday bash for Thrive Church. That's Saturday. We're going to do a birthday bash and baptism. If you want to be baptized, sign up. We have six or seven already signed up. Um, we just love to baptize people. It's awesome. Um, it's amazing what God's doing with that here. Uh, so sign up for that. And then Saturday, we have a lunch, a baptism. That Sunday is huge. We're calling it Back to Church Sunday. You know how it is in the South, don't you? People know Jesus. All right? They, they, they went to VBS. If, now, if you moved in from New York or California, it may not be that way. But here in, in Chesterfield County, they went to VBS as a kid. And so your waitress that, that's waiting on you, you give her this car and say, you have to try to thrive church out. It's time to get back in church. And we have Back to Church Sunday coming September 22nd. And so we have all these cards for you right over at our community groups table. So make sure you grab cards, invite some friends September 22nd. And we're going to host two worship services that day. Um, it's going to be exciting. So be praying for that, believing for that. And I just think God's getting ready to do something amazing um, here at Thrive Church in the fall. Um, we're in a series today, if you just joined us, called Prayers That Shook the World. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 1.10. 1 Samuel 1.10. And we're in our third week of prayers that shook the world, and I've been so excited about this series, uh, sharing with you how to pray, how to go deeper in your prayer life. And so today we're going to talk about the beauty of passion when it comes to prayer. George Mueller is a Christian hero of the faith. If you've never read his biography um, or, or his journals, read George Mueller's journals. Amazing what God did through this guy who just trusted God and believed God. Um, he had an orphanage, and what he, had, he didn't have enough money to run the orphanage, so he would pray that God would bring food. And as they sat at the, at, the lunch, at the breakfast table, excuse me, he would sit there and pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread, because they had no food at the table for the orphans. He started with 15 orphans, and a, a, a knock would come at the door, and bread would be provided. Milk would be provided. And this journal is amazing of what George Mueller did. Well, the story goes that he had five friends that he was praying for, and so he really committed to pray for them daily. The first friend actually got saved in four months, which is pretty quick, right? 
And so he prayed for that friend. He got saved. The other two friends, it took 10 years of praying daily, and they got saved. They gave their life to Christ. He had another friend. It took 25 years of praying every day for that friend. And the final friend, um, George Mueller never got to see that happen. After his death, several weeks later, his final friend uh, gave his life to Christ. George was passionate and desperate for God. And this morning, I want to speak to you about a lady who, in the Bible who is passionate for God in her prayer life. In 1 Samuel 1.10, we're going to read, um, we'll be in the first 20 verses, but let me draw your attention to verse 10. It says, and she was in bitterness of soul, that's Hannah, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Let me read that one more time. And Hannah was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for the chance to gather together and just glorify your name, God, to just connect with you. God, we're so thankful for who you are in our life. We ask today that as we open up your word, your, your, your holy scriptures, that you would awaken our hearts, God, that we could receive the seed of the word of God that's able to save our souls, Lord. And so we ask you to implant that word in us today, and may we all leave with passion and pursuit and perseverance in following you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. In our country, the God of America, when I say God, I don't mean big G, who is our God we serve, Jehovah, Elohim, you know, but the little G, the God of America, is comfort. It started by being called the American dream, uh, you know, a lot of decades ago. But it's comfort, and as you watch TV and as you look at your own life, you notice that there's this drive to be more comfortable, right? Let's be real about it. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying comfort is bad. But what happens is this need for comfort, this need for for security bleeds into your Christian walk when you give your life to Christ. So you surrender to Christ, and then what happens, your need for physical comfort turns into a need for spiritual comfort. And so what happens when things get tough, when you start following Jesus and it gets tough, and it does, said all the mature saints in the house, um, when you first give your life to Christ, it just feels great. It's like, man, I just, this is awesome, but it gets tough. Let me just give you a warning. As some would say, a prophetic word. It's going to get tough. But what happens is our need for comfort drives us to the point that when tough times come, we back away from pursuing Jesus. And, and, and we see that all the time. In my generation, it's especially true. Generation X, and that includes IY and all you guys up under me, 35 and younger, talking to y'all, we're the world's worst. Uh, The sad thing about our country is that we're living off our parents' and grandparents' earnings because those guys had to work two and three jobs to keep their families afloat. You know, they they had to to wear the same pair of pants for several years, whereas we in our generation, we strive for comfort that we want the house that mom and dad has at 60, we want it at 25 because we're seeking comfort. God forbid something happens that, that, that we have to be uncomfortable. But the danger is when that bleeds into your Christian walk. Because I'm telling you something, when you follow God, it's anything but comfortable. Now, now is it awesome? Yeah. Is it amazing to follow Jesus in, in this adventure and pursuit? Yes. Is it comfortable? No. It takes us stepping out of our comfort zones to follow him. And when negative situations hit, you've got to continue to pursue God and not turn your back on him. And this morning, we're going to look at a woman named Hannah. Hannah's name literally means the beauty of passion. Hannah was uh, married to Elkanah. 
And he had another wife named Penina, and that was allowed back thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, I would not suggest that today. Uh, one wife is, is enough, and all the husbands said. That's right, okay. You should have said that. Especially if your wife is sitting here, you don't say amen to that. But Elkanah had Hannah and Penina, and, and Penina had, had like tons of children. She was just like birthing them out, you know. And Hannah could not have children. And so you're going to look today at Hannah who was disgraced and ridiculed and hurt. She was desperate for God. She pursued God when things were difficult, when things were tough, when things weren't comfortable. And we see a blessing happen because she pursued God in those times. And let me just share this. As I was, you know, working on the message Monday and and going through this thing, I was looking for illustrations on desperation. And there's a couple really good sites on just illustrations, stories, things like that. Do you know what the website said I went to? Desperation. No illustrations yet. That explains our generation, right? Desperation. There's no illustrations yet. But today, thankfully, through Scripture, we have a great illustration of a lady who was desperate and was passionate for God even in the midst of disappointment Let's look at 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 20 today in the life of Hannah. It's a lot of long names here, a lot of weird names, so just bear with me through it. Verse 1 says this, Now there was a certain man of Ramathim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, the son of Ephraimite. And if you want to know, I spent like 30 minutes just learning those names um, with that. What do you do all week? I learned these weird names, so you don't have to. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the other was Penina. And Penina had uh, children, but Hannah had no children. You see that playing out here. The man went up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came from Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, watch this, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Elkanah was a good husband. He he was a very sweet man and had had mercy upon his wife because she couldn't control the fact she couldn't have children. But the Bible said the Lord had closed her womb. Pay attention to that. And her rival, I guess that's the other wife. I don't know how a two-wife marriage looks, but I guess it's rival. I guess the only way to explain it, right? And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year. Say year. Just so you know, this is like, we read this in a minute and a half. This is year after year after year. Hannah had no children. When she went up to the house of the Lord, that Penina provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is it that your heart is grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Do you you see what's happening here? She's brokenhearted because she cannot have children. And that was the major sign that you were blessed in that day and time. Not your camel Mercedes. It was your children you had. Not your camel with the rims on it, but it was, you know. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, 
If you indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. I I disagree with that portion. I think razors should be on every head. Just saying. I'll share a little more about that in a second. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, but only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Look at verse 17. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to the house of Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. Now, that's the PG version of what just happened, all right? He knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Um, So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I've asked him from the Lord. We see a lady who was facing disappointment year after year after year. Can't have children She feels deserted by God. She feels disappointed that she's not seeing God move in her midst like she is somebody else who was the other wife. And in that time, she had a choice to back away and become bitter at God and angry at God and jealous of the other lady. But in that time, you see Hannah pursue God in the midst of discomfort, disappointment, and hurt. And I believe all of us today, if you want to pray prayers that shake the world, if you want to be that person who, when you pray, things move and things happen, there are four points that I found from this that you must take note of, and you can find them in your talk notes. The first point is this. Why Hannah's prayer shook the world? The first point's because, number one, she pursued God in a time of bitterness. She pursued God in a time of bitterness. Now look at verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish, as I just said, ridiculed, made fun of, disappointed, hurt, dejected, felt like everybody else was getting their blessing except for her. I know none of you ever feel like that because you always get what you want whenever you want it, right? But if there's anybody out there who maybe you feel like sometimes God hasn't answered the way that you would like, or maybe you feel left out or looked over, you can identify with Hannah in this. But she pursued God in a time of bitterness. And like I said before, that's our greatest deficiency in this generation. When disappointment happens, when tragedy happens, when when things outside of our control happen, and then when it happens, we kind of back off. It's like, I I think I'm just going to back off and not move forward anymore. I'm a big fan of football. You guys know that. Uh, This is the most blessed time of the year. as football season is ushered in, and I can literally feel the presence of the Lord coming to my house as 
game day is on and, and all that. So that being said, uh, several years back, uh, for you guys that are Virginia Tech fans, I'm not. I'm just going to give you an example of that, so don't hate on me um, if you're not. Frank Beamer's team was ranked number three in the nation, and they were supposed to be the one to win the national championship, but they lost their first two games back-to-back. And he had to go in that locker room, and he had to get that team ready to play the rest of the season when they had nothing more than maybe a peach bowl to play for. But they didn't stop. They pressed on and had a great season in the midst of disappointment. Many of us, if we don't lose our first two games, we quit. We back off. We're not ready to go anymore. You see athletes that happens too. Where they're out for the season before the season ever begins. And instead of backing off and saying, I'm just going to quit and I'm done, they come back better than ever. Peyton Manny, right? Come back ready to go. And some of you guys that are sports fans that have no clue what you're talking about, pray that God will give you the interpretation of this. <laughs> Maybe have an interpretation today. Somebody may stand up and give you the interpretation of what I'm saying to you ladies in here. But it's kind of like when you're left out and you're looked over and somebody else is being blessed, it's like being on that Little League World Series team that I've been watching. Yeah, I watch that too. And you're not chosen out of all those players to play in the World Series. But you're on the team, right? And you're watching your other buddies play and experience the greatest thing. But because you aren't getting a chance to, you pout and are disappointed. And when the team wins, you're upset. Now, I know you never think this would happen in ministry, but it happens in church ministry. Do you know that when I struggled, I had more friends than when I experienced blessing? My pastor friends loved me when I had, when, when no, when you had nothing. They're, oh, just bless his heart. But jealousy happens whenever you start to be blessed with things and things happen to you. And, and people, God forbid, they, they do that. The way I take it is, if my buddy down the street, if his church explodes, I can clap because that's kingdom. The whole team's winning. All right, no matter what's happening in my little neck of the woods, the team is winning. And I actually texted several friends this morning and said, man, I'm praying for you this morning that God would show up and, and, and you would make much of Jesus in your church services today. And I'm praying to hear great things happen. But so many times when we're overlooked, we back off and we don't pursue God. And let me say this here, and you can write this in your notes. Bitterness can cause you to miss the beauty of the moment. Bitterness can cause you to miss the beauty of the moment. And if you're wrapped up in bitterness because of something that's not happened for you, that's happened for somebody else or a disappointment, you can actually miss what God's really doing in your life and things that are really happening. That happened to me in ninth grade. I was on the basketball team. I love to play basketball. You guys know that. I showed my skills at our last baptism bash. You didn't know this guy had a crossover. He does. Come challenge anytime you want to. <laughs> ninth grade, you know, and I, can, I love to shoot. I'm short, so I learned how to shoot a lot of threes. So ninth grade, we're in the championship game, right? And our team is down by 10 with about a minute and a half left. So the coach says, Bordeaux, I need you to get into the game. And so I get around the huddle, and I hadn't played the whole game. And some dude, like, on the team, we were like, arguing about something. Because I was taking his spot, and he was like, you better not mess up. And I was like, I was like you shut up. And we started, like, you know, this is before I was saved, we started cursing each other in the, in the huddle. Coach is writing up plays for me, and I'm cursing and mad because I wasn't putting the game the whole time, and I was pouting. And the coach said, uh, Bordeaux, I tell you what, with that attitude, just stay on the bench. We'll do it without you. 
bitterness caused me to miss the beauty of the moment that was happening. The coach called my number to be put in the game to try to help. I mean, you couldn't write that up any better, right? And I missed it because I was bitter. And you see Hannah, that she was bitter, uh, that she was bitter, she was hurt, but she pursued God in that circumstance. Hannah prayed to the Lord. I want you to re- remember this here. She was not reading this story. You read this, you're like, yeah, well, the Lord gave her Samuel, it's all good. She didn't know the Lord had closed her womb. She didn't know she would have a son. She wasn't privy to this information that we have. But she pursued God even when it hurt. She pursued God even when she didn't get what she was looking for. So keep in mind that you are never overlooked or passed over in the kingdom of God. God has got a plan for you. He's working things out for you. And even though it seems like Penina's getting all the blessings and everything's coming to her and you get nothing, just wait for the timing of the Lord and pursue him when you find bitterness creeping up in your life. The second point this morning is this. Why did Hannah's prayer shake the world? The second point to write in your notes this morning is she set apart her greatest blessing back to God. She set apart her greatest blessing back to God. Look at verse 11, just the the first part of it. It says, then she made a vow. That means a serious covenant with the Lord. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I've done that too. What you've done is a Hail Mary. The cop stops you. You were going 25 miles over, and you know you could lose your life. You're like, Lord, I never speed again if you just get me out of this ticket. Have you, have you ever thrown a Hail Mary before and done that? God, I promise, I'll never forget before I was even saved. I didn't know Jesus. I was in the back of a cop car, arrested for drug, drug charges. I'm like, God, God, I'll, I'll give my life to you if you'll just deliver me once, Lord. I heard that said in church one time, you know, um, with that. Of course, I wasn't serious. I went back to doing what I was doing. She didn't throw a Hail Mary. She literally took Samuel, the things she'd been praying for for years, and gave that back to God. She, she gave him a Nazarite vow, and if you were here for the Samson series back in April, we looked at that. And, and here's what the Na- Nazarite vow is. He would have to abstain from wine, from vinegar, from grapes, raisins, and intoxicating liquors. He would have to refrain from cutting the hair of his head. Now remember, he did not have a mullet. Remember, Samson didn't, and Samuel didn't either. There were no mullets in the Bible because they're unholy. So he did not have a mullet. Don't get that in your mind. He was not Billy Ray Cyrus. He had long, strong hair. He was a strong man. And Samuel also had to avoid corpses and graves. And watch this. Even those of family members and any structures that contained that. You're like, dude, I would do that. If God would give me this thing I've been praying for, I would surely do that. I'd let the kid go without haircuts and keep him from liquor. And I, yeah, sure. It wasn't a trade-off Hannah was making. It was a giveaway. It was a sacrifice. She was taking the very thing, this little boy, that God had given her, and she gave him to the Lord. She sacrificed her son to him by putting him into the ministry. Parents, don't let your children grow up to be cowboys. Parents, don't let your children grow up to be in the ministry, right? I'm just kidding. I'm in the ministry. But she gave him to Jewish priesthood, which meant this. She ain't going to see him. It's not like he goes to Bible college and comes back. At four years old, the moment that he can start having very coherent sentences, um, if that's earlier, they send him off to be with the priest with Eli. 
to learn and to grow. And she gets to see him on, on just visitation rights at this point. She gives her child over to the Lord. She set apart her greatest blessing back to God. And let me just say this. This is what I use for baby dedications. This is passage. If you've been here, you know that. But can I tell you something? Our baby dedications in America, if it's compared to this, are pitiful. Hannah dedicated her baby to the Lord. And what does that mean? There's nothing magical in baby dedication. Nothing magical. It's not like, you know, the, the glory of the Lord just like covers the, you know, the child and then it assures them of like growing up and being some great person for God, right? That's not what happens. The key to a baby dedication is not the baby, it's the parent. And so many times parents will come up, I want to get the baby dedicated. Really, you're getting the baby dedicated, but you're taking a covenant before God because the baby can't take a covenant yet. And you're saying, I will, I'll tell you what, I will sacrifice Sunday mornings to get this child in church. I will sacrifice Wednesday to get them in Bible lessons. I'm, I am going to sacrifice what I want and what feels good to me to make sure this child is raised in the wisdom and the admonition of the Lord. And that is what a baby dedication is for all of you that are interested. It's all about the parents, not the child. And you see Hannah here gives us the model of what that is, to sacrifice your child and to the Lord and let the Lord do what the Lord would do with that. See, many of us in here, our Samuel is a dream that we have, a, a, a desire that we have. Maybe it's not a physical child. And you have dreams and desires in your life. And you've got to be willing to take that dream or desire and say, God, I give this to you. It's not about the vision I had or things in me. This is yours. And I'm going to tell you something, the people that never lay their dream on the altar to be sacrificed by the Lord, to be taken by God, never see it come to pass. But the people who at some point lay that thing down and say, God, I give it to you, I, lay, I take my hands off, it's yours, that's when it comes to pass. The people who scare me are the ones who have, God woke me up and showed me this big vision of thousands listening to me. I was like, yeah, that's really self-serving, <laughs> Right? And I'm wondering, what are you going to do to sacrifice and lay that thing down to see it come to pass? And that's what Hannah did. She set apart her greatest blessing back to God. And you will only have what God wants in your life fully when you have no strings attached in your life. Jesus said this. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't live. What does that mean? The outward shell has to die, doesn't it, in a seed? The same thing for your dreams and your desires. You've got to lay it before God and say, God, I no longer need this. I need you. And you do what you will. I'm your maid servant, just like Hannah said. Um, last year, I had to do that. It was the biggest sacrifice I had ever made in my life. And you guys know the story of me moving here. I'm not going to belabor you with that. But for six years, we had prayed about starting a church in college and moved to the city and finally got to start the six years. We would drive once a year and visit and pray. You know, some guys get an idea about ministry and they're ready to do it next month. Um, it usually doesn't last. We went down there and, and we started this church. I'll never forget when God said, you've got to lay this thing in my hands. The very dream that you had. God gave me the name of that church on my honeymoon. God, there, there are some other, yeah. You know, my wife was asleep. I wasn't thinking about ministry the whole time. 
But on my honeymoon, God gave me the vision. I wrote it down. I was so excited. And then God said, you've got to lay this thing before me. And I laid it before the Lord, gave it up. And when I did, then God could fully bless me with what he wanted to bless me with in his kingdom. You've got to set apart your greatest blessing back to God and be willing to let your dream die. Do you hear me? Let, if, if you'll let it die, God can resurrect it. And when Jesus resurrected, check this, nobody recognized him. Do you realize, remember that? When Jesus resurrected, like, they walked seven miles and didn't know it was Jesus. When, when you let that thing die, whatever it is, say, God, I just give it to you, you take it, and you let God resurrect that desire or dream. It may not look like anything that you ever thought it would, but it'll be better than you ever thought it would be. For some of you, that's relationships today. And you've got a bad, poisonous relationship. You know God has not called you to be with that person. You're not married yet. You're just testing the waters. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I've got to let this thing die. I don't want to be lonely, but there's one thing worse than being lonely. That's being stuck with the wrong person. For others of you, it's desires that you have with finances. Maybe it's a, 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 a 90-inch flat screen TV. Do, do they make those yet? I don't know. Maybe it's something that, that you felt God's called you to do and you're not seeing it come to pass. You may have to just let that thing down and say, God, I give it to you and you do what you will. I am your maidservant. But when you're willing to take your hands off God's stuff, then God can put his hands on you. And she set apart her greatest blessing back to God. That's the second thing that she did. And here's the, the third point this morning. You guys follow me here? Okay. Why did Hannah's prayer shake the world? She was specific in her approach to God. She was specific in her approach to God. So she pursued God in a time of bitterness. She set apart her greatest blessing, and then she was specific in her approach. Now watch this. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, specific, right? Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. I'm not going to belabor this point here. Be specific to the Lord. Don't, don't get up in the morning and be like, God bless me today. If you pray for general stuff, you're going to get general stuff. But let me encourage you that if, if you're believing God to do something in your life over your children, over maybe it's a job, maybe it's your relationship, I don't know what it is, take time to be specific. Write down specifically what you believe you want God to do in this situation and make it specific to the Lord. If you're single in here, it needs to be that, that much more serious. Do you know I wrote three pages front and back? before I ever met my wife. And that was the criteria that I knew when I met her, it would be my prayer that I've been praying to God. And when I met Deanna, and she started saying all this stuff that was in that, in all three pages, I knew that something's up. Be specific in your approach. God, I want a job. What type of job do you want? Where would you like to be? Now, sometimes you may have to do what you don't want to do to get where you need to go, but be specific to the Lord in what you are asking. Make it special before God. You know what? That's why I journal. That's why I journal daily, man. I'll read through the scriptures, and, I, and, and I'll be reading, and I'll say, God, speak to my heart about how I need to change, not everybody else. And then I make a specific prayer on what I need to do 
daily in my life. And I'm telling you something, when you pray specifically, you see God answer specifically. That's why on Wednesdays when we pray, it's not just a free-for-all and just, just pray whatever you want to. We pray specifically and we see God answering specifically. Amen? Be specific. She was specific in her prayer. And here's your fourth and final point this morning. Why was Hannah's prayer a prayer that shook the world? Faith was exercised because she rested in him. She rested in God. Faith was exercised because she rested in God. Look at verse 17. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And then watch this. This is it. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She rested in God. See, there's a point of faith. When you have active faith and you're believing God for stuff, that you need to just rest in the Lord. And that's what she did. She stopped fasting. She stopped being so sad about everything. And she went her way. And so many times, if we're going to have active faith, we think, well, I got to push. I got to prove to God how serious I am. Sometimes you, you can prove to him how serious you are by letting him do the work and resting and some of you that are workers in here, you're like, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's laziness. There's a big difference between rest and laziness. It's when you let God do the heavy lifting. Here's the key, man. Stop worrying. Stop worrying your prayers. Because many of us, we're not really praying. We're just uh, verbalizing our worry. Right? And then let God do the heavy lifting. That's what rest is. When you put it on God's shoulders, look at Hebrews 4, 9. Write this in your notes, and let me share this with you here. Hebrews 4, 9. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. There, let me say that one more time. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Simply put, you rest in God's power and you stop trying to make it happen. Stop stalking that person. If it's God, it will naturally happen, single person. They don't need 45 million text messages. They don't need you scrolling on their Facebook page to see where they've been at that day. And nobody's saying amen to that. There remains a rest for the people of God. And, 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 when, and when you're seeing God move sometimes and you're going to exercise faith, you've got to rest. And that's what I did when I came here. Now, now, do I work? Oh, yeah. Do we work hard? Yeah. But we put the heavy lifting on God's shoulders for God to do only what he can do. There was a story uh, of a Caribou wagon driver. And he was going through the Philippines on his wagon. And he saw this man had a heavy yoke on him. He's like struggling down the street. Or down the, you know, dirt road. He's carrying it. He's carrying it. And the wagon driver stops and says, hey man, won't you hop in my wagon with me? He says, sure. The guy gets in the wagon. And the wagon driver goes along some more. And he looks back and the man sitting in the wagon still straining under the weight of his yoke. That's what we do with God. We get in the wagon with Jesus, and he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and then we are still, he looks back and we're still straining trying to carry the very thing he wanted to carry for us. That's called resting in the Lord. 
That's where joy comes from. When you're like, man, it's on God's shoulders. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. Where God guides, God provides. And you're like, man, Lord, that's on you. That's called rest. And she rested in the Lord. She, a lot of us need to stop trying to prove to God how we can do it and let God carry the burden from us. Hannah sought God in a time of bitterness. Her prayer literally did shake the world. Samuel was the first prophet of Israel. He was one of the ones who helped shape the nation of Israel. And she pursued God when it was difficult, when nothing was happening. She set apart her greatest blessing, Samuel, back to God. She was very specific in that. And then she rested. See, there are different types of people in here today. Some of you are just like Hannah. You feel like maybe you've been overlooked when God picked the teams you were left out. You were picked last. Some of you feel like, God, win. I've been waiting. I've been praying. I'm still not seeing this thing come to pass yet. And so some of you can identify with Hannah in here, right? Whereas others of you may be like Elkanah. Where maybe you're in the middle of God's blessing and you're seeing God do things. Your job's to comfort those and love those who aren't seeing it happen. Stop trying to give them three points in an ABC formula you heard on TV from some evangelists to get them breakthrough. Maybe you just need to love on them. I had a friend who's, who's in ministry and man, his wife was diagnosed with severe mental illness. Severe, I'm talking about severe. Can't work a job and has to go through a program seven days a week because of suicidal thoughts and all that and, and the churches and he's that's not doing well at all and he's a terrific man of God I mean just a good guy and I just felt as I was talking to him recently he was talking about things that they're doing with the church and we're going over that I felt God say stop trying to fix them just be Elkanah just comfort and love this dude in his season of God closing the womb so some of you need to be Elkanah today. You need to comfort some people. Then others of you need to be like Eli. You're at a place of spiritual maturity. When you have those Hannahs in your life, you need to bless them and speak words of favor over them. You need to pray for them. And you need to believe God with them in your life. And all of us in here today are at one of those points. You're either Hannah, you're Elkanah, or you're Eli in this place. And I, wanna, I just want to pray for you guys today. If you will, bow your head and close your eyes. With your head bowed and your eyes closed before um, I speak to the message, I want to speak to those who've come in here today and you know it's time to get your life right with God again. You know that it's time for God to touch you. It's time to surrender to Him, to give your life to Jesus Christ. And you've come in today knowing it's time to surrender to Him. You're sitting there and you're probably, man, your mind's racing, your heart's racing, you don't really know, you know, what to do. You're like, man, I know that's me. If today is the day for you to either rededicate and recommit your life to Christ, or if today is the day for you to give your life to Him fresh and once and new, you say, Kevin, today is my day. I like to know Jesus as my Savior. I would like to be saved. It's just simple as just raising your hand and acknowledging that's me today. I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus as my Savior. Today's the day to recommit. Stop playing games. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. You just lift your hand to the Lord and be honest to Him if that's you in here. If you're sitting here today and you're saying to me, 
My life's good with Jesus. I love Jesus. He loves me, and I know heaven's my home. But I tell you what, this message was just for me today. I feel like Hannah. If you're sitting here this morning and you feel like that, that, that you're a lot like Hannah, and that you're saying, man, I just feel like I've never really verbalized this. I feel kind of just looked over by God. Maybe overlooked and, and, and passed over, and, and there's been bitterness. And, and I felt my pursuit of God has slowed down because of that. And I just need some prayer today. I need somebody like Eli to pray for me. I need some Elkanahs to love and comfort me. If that's you in here and you're like, man, I just need prayer today. I feel like I'm Hannah. Just, just lift your hand and be honest to the Lord is all you got to do. Amen. I just need that. I want to pray for everybody here that just raised their hands. And if you're at a place where you're an Eli or an Elkanah, I want to join you to just pray with me as we pray for those who are honest before the Lord and raise their hand. And right where you're sitting is your altar right now. I want you to just, as I pray for you, invite the Lord into your situation. Father, today, we thank you that you're always active in every situation. Even when the Bible says you closed the womb, it was you who did it, God, because you had a greater purpose in hand. Father, I pray for those who feel like Hannah today. I say, God, I, there's so much. I just believe that is there for me. And I've went through some tough seasons where there's bitterness and anguish. And, and God, I need you this morning. I need you this morning more than ever before. And I need you to help carry me through this season. I, I pray for them right now who said that, God. I pray for them, Lord, for perseverance. I pray for the peace of God that passes all understanding. I pray right now, God, over each one that they would pursue you, God, through hurt and disappointment. And Lord, I pray that you would let them know there's the other side of faith. There's a life before Samuel, and there's a life after Samuel. And I pray, God, that you would show them today, Lord, that you are active and working in their situation. And God, I pray that out of this message today, there will be people that pray prayers that shake the world. There will be people today, God, that leave today praying prayers that shake the world. Father, we thank you for your goodness your mercy. We receive your grace today, and we bless you today, God, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said...